I don't necessarily know what the photograph is about in terms of a storyline, but it suggests things because I'm saying, hey, look at this odd juxtaposition of objects. And, you know, what does it tell you? And, you know, depending on your own personal history and what you bring to the image, you're going to, I mean, this is always true, of course, not just for my photographs, you're going to interpret it in your own unique way. But as far as the narrative of the entire series, so the, the other different thing about shooting This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today... Today, we are going to get complicated. Today, we are going to have so much fun with what an image can be in terms of complexity and fascination and just the, the absolutely mesmerizing quality that can be held within an image. In other words, we're talking with David Ricci. David, as you know, if you, if you read the Frames Magazine uh, book reviews, is the author of a fantastic photo book called Edge, which has gotten a little bit of attention. It was the Forward Magazine's Photography Book of the Year, Pub West Book Design. It won the Silver Prize over there. It was an award finalist for the International Book Awards. And the reviews have just been falling over themselves with praise for an approach to photography that is bright and fresh. There have been museum gallery shows all over the place. Oh, let's see, let me look at the list here. There's Art Space, the Iris Gallery, the Lichtenstein Gallery, Art Complex Museum, it just Los Angeles County Museum of Art, the Fog Museum. It just goes on and on because this is work that absolutely stops you in your tracks and it makes you sort of follow the lines. As I said in the review, we talk an awful lot about light and line in photography and then spend most of our time talking about light. This is work where the light is gorgeous, but the lines just stop you in your tracks. David, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing great, Scott. I'm doing wonderful. Nice to well, talk to you. Nice talking to you. I mean, as, as you know, I am a fan of your work. I, I think you've got a vision here. You've got a way of approaching photography or the subject of your photography that is unique. But you, I mean, you also have a story. You know, I, I ask a lot of people about how they get started in this. And most people say my father, my mother, my uncle, whatever, gave me a camera when I was somewhere between you know six and 12 and it changed my life. That's not your story. You were in, I mean, you were in biomedical engineering. You were finishing a graduate degree and wandered into a gallery. I mean, tell me about that moment. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I went to uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute or RPI in upstate mm -hmm. New York mm -hmm. um, for both undergraduate and graduate work in biomedical engineering. And it was actually on the last week of graduate school, right after, <laughs> right after I'd finished the finals. I was in the student center, and there was an exhibition of the RPI camera club. So I thought, oh, let me go look at this. I had no interest in photography and very little interest in, in visual art at that time. Um, so I, I toured the show, and I, I don't recall any specific photographs that interested me, but there was something about the medium. I mean, as a boy growing up, like I said, I didn't have a lot of interest in art. I was more interested in hanging out with my buddies and playing baseball and basketball and that type of thing. But I did like mm -hmm. to draw. Okay. My mother was an amateur painter, so I think that's where the influence came. So I did like to draw, <laughs> but I was terrible at it. I could not draw. Uh -huh. I bought a whole bunch of books to each man. I couldn't do it. So I think when I saw this exhibition at RPI, that I thought, oh, maybe I could do this because it doesn't involve a lot of manual dexterity to it. Mm -hmm. you, you, know, you draw with light. So... After that, I, I took an engineering job in Connecticut, and about a year into that job, I had saved up enough money to buy my first camera, which is a 35-millimeter Nikon. It was actually the, the cheaper version. It was called the Knicker, the Knicker Mat. <laughs> Knicker Mat, yep. yep. Yeah. And started taking pictures and then started reading and getting hold of uh, photography magazines and, and books on photography. One of the first things I, I bought was the Ansel Adams series. He had mm -hmm. a, a book yep. out called The Negative and another one called The Print and another one called The Camera. So I read that and, and tried to learn the zone system. 
And I picked up history books, uh, Beaumont Newhall's History of Photography, and then started reading about art history because I came to understand that photography can be a, a meaningful way for personal expression and be a, vis- a, a visual art form. So I read a number of different books, Arneson's History of Modern Art and Jansen's, mm-hmm. uh, of, yeah, and Jansen's History of Art. So I started getting exposed to not just photography, but painting and sculpture and drawing and attending exhibitions, going to galleries and museum shows, and then learning by trial and error by taking <laughs> photographs. And I, I, I'm sure I've done everything wrong that could possibly be done wrong, both um, in taking photographs and in um, developing film and making prints. Yeah, I, I think our progress is you do it wrong, then you do it slightly less wrong, then you do it slightly lesser wrong. And pretty pretty soon you, you start approaching something, you know, approximately right uh and that's maddening but i'm still curious about this sea change because this this is not two things that are like each other you know and engineering well is is very precise it it, it, i'm not going to say it's not creative because it's deeply creative but it it is problem solving and, and and creation of systems photography is is something a little a little bit i mean there is the technical side to it obviously but why, why, I mean, you could have gone into cooking. You could have gone into a thousand things for self-expression. Right. What about the medium really sort of got to your soul? Well, I, I guess, you know, the more I looked at other people's work and got interested in, in what they were doing, and I, I I just saw it as, again, going back to the drawing, I, I, don't, I don't have to draw. I can make a picture in, mm-hmm. a, 60th, in a 60th of a second. And... I think, you know, because I saw that exhibition, that piqued my interest. And again, in the interim year before I actually bought a camera, I did a lot of studying and reading and attending um, galleries and exhibitions. But, you, you know, the, the you know, I have a great interest in painting as well. And I, I've made exactly two paintings in my life, but that's as far as I took it because I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why it is that photography appealed to me more. But when I started seeing the work of Minor White uh-huh. and... Paul Strand, Aaron Siskind, just, I don't know, I, I just, there was something about their work that had uh, extra layer to it, I guess, that, that drew me in. And then there were other photographers that I started getting interested in. An interesting thing is a number of them are black and white photographers, and I don't shoot black and white. No, not at all. Yeah. No, yeah, Gary Winogrand and Lee Friedlander were big mm-hmm. influences. But at at some point, this book came out, I can't remember if it was the late 70s or early 80s, which is right around the time I started my photography career. It's called New Color, New Work. It was published by uh, Sally Mm O'Claire. I'm sorry, the New Color Photography. photography, Then the subsequent uh, publication that she put out was called New Color, New Work. And that's what really got me interested in shooting in color. So in, in the first volume, she had the work of uh, Stephen Shore and Joel Meyerowitz. And I'm pretty sure Eggleston had some things in there. Yep. And, and it just drew, drew me in. But, well, you know, from, from there, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I mentioned this on my, my website or not, but I went to a number of exhibitions. I'd, I'd drive down to New York, which is about three-hour drive from where I am and go to mm-hmm. shows at the, you know, at the Whitney and the Guggenheim and the, and the Museum of Modern Art. And at some point, I can't remember what year it was, but there was, I, I went down to see a, a photography exhibition there and it had some of the, you know, the big names in photography. And I went through the show and it was, uh, I found it, you know, great. And, and then I wandered through the, the gallery and the other galleries at MoMA and the painting galleries and was really spending a lot of time with the, well, the turn of the century, turn of 20th century painters like uh, Bonard and then the, the more mid-century painters, Richard Diebenkorn and Cy Twombly. But I happened to be there when they were exhibiting Jackson Pollock's Blue Poles. Right. Which is a massive painting. And I was just totally absorbed with that. And so I went through the painting galleries and, like I said, you know, Barnard and Manet's and Cezanne. There were some Cezanne's there. And I went back and looked at the photography show. Then I came back through the painting galleries. And I became aware that I was spending a lot more time looking at the paintings than the photographs, particularly the, the, the Pollock's Blue Poles, because I could, you know, get up fairly close to it. It was, of course, cordoned off. 
um, and look at, you know, the different patterns of the paint on the canvas and mm-hmm. then move back and then the blue poles appear and then move further back. And it had a different impact depending on my, my position relative to the, to the work. And so I didn't leave there wanting to be a, a painter. <laughs> I left there right. wanting to make photographs that engaged me in a similar fashion. And by that, I mean it, you know, it uh, revealed itself over time and it re- it rewarded repeated viewings. Not that there weren't photographs that did that, but a lot of these paintings, that's how I felt about them. And so I started thinking about that. I want to make photographs that, that do that, that, you know, you can look at it for longer than a few seconds because some of the photographs that I saw that were, you know, real classics and I can't think of any particular images right now, I felt as though I could memorize them very quickly, which was kind of ironic because, you know, as we all know, one of the great things about photography is its ability to describe, to capture in great, great detail, you know, the, the uh, threads on your jacket, you know, if you have a really sharp camera and if you're shooting like an 8 by 10 But I felt as though I could kind of memorize the, the, the picture and Jen and go back and look at it. I said, oh, yeah, I remember exactly where that object was and where that light was coming in from. But with the paintings, I mean, there's nobody's going to memorize Jackson Pollock's blue poles. Right. <laughs> there's thousands and thousands and thousands of splatters of, of, of paint. But anyway, yeah, so it just came away wanting to make images that were would engage the viewer over time. And if you go back to it and you notice something else about it that you find intriguing or interesting or moving. Well, I mean, you, and you had some early success here. You know, Ferguson Emerging Photographer Award in 91. Yeah. You, you, you got the uh, Curators Award from the Center for Photographic Arts in 95. You got the you know, finalist for the Calumet Award in 99. So, I mean, pe- people are responding to your work. And 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 what what I'm hearing in here, because this is really fascinating stuff. I mean, you, you've got a background in engineering, you know, as we said, you know, systems, order, how does stuff work? And yet your photography is coming out of the, we're going to get nerdy here, the second law of thermodynamics. All things tend toward chaos. All things tend toward, you know, disarray. And, and it's that tension, that, that, that order and, and that disarray that really, I think, sits at the, at the heart of why people are, are responding to your work beyond, you know, the, you know, the, the, the colors and stuff like that. You're just your choice of subject matter. You started, I mean, you, you photographed the aftermath of storms and disasters. You did ballparks, you know, so, so you could have been doing baseball games. You could have been doing, you know, a bunch of other things. Was it your engineering background? Do you think it just a kind of sensibility that was driving your choice of subject? I think so, but not consciously. Okay. Because yeah, if you, if you look at my work, like in Edge, the first couple of pieces are, you know, pretty minimalist and geometric right. things, and certainly influenced by you know painters like Mondrian. And you know, as it progresses, or as it progressed over time, in the '90s, I was shooting these abandoned amusement parks and uh, athletic facilities, are somewhat abandoned. Some of the images have one or two people in them, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the work continued to have what I call a geometric underpinning to it. So in other words, it's not as you know literal, I guess, as those first couple of architectural photographs that are in the book. But then when, in the next one where you've got the basketball court with the big, you know, circle so, within yep. a circle on the ground yep. And, the, yep. and the Ferris wheel in the background. Yeah. And it, as you continue on, even the ones that are very super busy and complex, I believe they have a geometric structure to them. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. And I, but I, again, it's not like I set up my camera and said, oh, I want a, some geometric thing going on here. It's just that's what caught my eye. And I got very much concerned about intentionally repeating motifs, uh-huh. uh, visual elements, colors, shapes, textures, even, or forms that repeat throughout my field of view. And I, re- I remember it in the Ansel Adams book on the camera talking about incorporating the near and the far in your composition. And I was very much aware of that. And again, that third image in the book is kind of pretty obvious. So I'm trying to incorporate the near from the far <laughs> in the far. But and as you go through the book, there are other uh, examples of that that are a little bit more subtle. Okay, well, now, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about now, because you you say uh, online that when you put this book together, you sat down and you had about 200 images that you put out just to live with for a while. So, you know, was the order that we see in the book, you know, 
what was is that chronologic? Is it aesthetic? I mean, because it does go from simpler to complex. But and then in the the backside of that question is is what you were just mentioning when you were out taking these pictures. How intentional were you versus you know? Th- yeah, th- this is brilliant. I love I love what I'm seeing. Let me compose it nicely. Um, I mean, d- did you know you had a project underway, and and was that driving your work? So. Tell me about everything. <laughs> In 15 seconds or less, right? <laughs> no, we, 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 this is a six-hour show. You know that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you know, that's it's an interesting question. I, I, I never did any assignment work, so this is all on my own. And as far as the subject matter goes, it's I've always... I've always felt, I know it almost sounds cliche, but I, I feel as though the subject matter has found me. Right. I never really intentionally set out un, until more recently to photograph a particular thing. I sort of stumble onto it and then I say, oh, this is kind of interesting. Let me do that. And as I wind down a project like the amusement parks, I always get a little worried. Oh, well, I'm done with this. What am I going to do next? And then I kind of stumble onto something else. You know, I, I demolished building and I look, oh, this could be interesting. I started shooting, you know, building demolitions in factories being dismantled and disaster sites, you know, after mm-hmm. we had, we had a, an odd tornado that came through here in, in Western Massachusetts in 95. And I photographed the aftermath of that. But, you know, to tell you everything. So w- when I was shooting the, the work that is an edge, I was very concerned about the, the print size. So when I exhibited these pieces, the, for the most part, the smallest print size I had was 20 by 24. Oh, my. Okay. And in some of the pieces, I printed 48 by 60. <laughs> and one of the galleries even had a custom order for a 60 by 72 for the piece called Wonderland in the book. So five feet by six feet. But when I was shooting this work, and not just the amusement parks, but the the, the demolition sites, the scrap metal heaps, the... Uh, commercial fishing boats. I, I was aware when I was taking the picture of, you know, do I think, how, how big do I think this print is going to be? So if I thought it was a type of print that lent itself to being four feet by five feet, I would position the camera in a way that I could, you know, I wouldn't do the math right then and there, but I could approximate how big mm-hmm. certain objects would be on the print that size. So oh, if you man. look at like my, uh, piece called lawnmower which is a scrap metal heat there's 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 a number of lawnmowers and there's a lawnmower in there and so i could position the camera and think well in a 48 by 60 that's going to be i don't know 10 inches across or whatever it turned out to be or a foot across will that have the right impact relative to the other objects that are going to be in that 48 by 60 print Oh, so how, man, were, how, I, I, how were the viewer engaged with the, with the photograph? I, I, I am humbled and jealous because, you know, in my world, I take a picture and then sitting there at Lightroom, I think, oh, what the hell am I going to do with this? That that whole notion I need to put into my work. I, that That is genius in terms of field composition to have those kind of ratios or those kind of, of dimensions in your head. As I understand it, the, the working title for Edge was Edge of Chaos. And... Edge of Chaos is is a segment on your website, and the first one of the first things in there um, is you talk about you talk about complexity science. What right. is that? What is that? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I can actually articulate that because I'm not a complexity <laughs> scientist, but it's it's the uh, the study of systems in which where when you keep adding more and more elements to it you get to a point where something happens that is is unexpected and goes beyond just, you know, the sum is equal to the parts or even greater than the parts. It's some right. totally new entity. There's actually, a, a, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, there's something called the Santa Fe Institute, which has several scientists and other folks who are involved there. And it's entirely studying these complex systems and how it can be applied to a number of different aspects of life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one example that the uh, author Waldrop, who I think I mentioned on the website, gives in his book on complexity is, is human thought and feeling. Okay. So we can look at the nervous system and see these, you know, millions and millions of nerve cells and axons, you know, who connect together and we can do all these studies and see, well, this is a center for um, pain or, or whatever. But eventually what emerged over millennia is the the development of the the human brain and now 
something emerges from those axons and those nerve cells connecting. Thought, feelings, mm-hmm. the ability to love, all those different things. It just emerges out of it. So it goes beyond that. So the connection I was making with my work was, you know, as I read that book and a couple of others, complexity theory and chaos theory was, hey, you know, and my work's kind of going in that direction because I kept what I was doing after, you know, in the amusement park work, it was really where I developed this. And then I applied it to the, the other projects that you see in Edge is I kept putting more and more visual elements into the picture and hoping for it to kind of stay together so that it would gel and not fall apart. And I mm-hmm. intentionally was trying to see, you know, how can I get to the edge of this, this methodology? So again, the first couple of photographs follow the, the quote rules of photography. Right. Okay? They're very clean images. They're well balanced, but after a while I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And I started getting to the point where I accepted the fact that maybe not every little piece in that rectangle is going to contribute perfectly to the whole. And that's okay. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I, I am going to quote you here uh, from, from your own <laughs> website. You say, okay. you say, gradually over time, I included more physical space in my viewfinder. So the structure of the photographs became progressively more complex. Eventually, I found myself orchestrating a plethora of elements to a point where the visual density of the images nearly overload the frame and the compositions hold together only tenuously. I add, I, 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 I mean, to, to, to push inclusion to the point where it, it, it might become nothing strikes me as, as a remarkable way to stand, you know, on, on a site. But t- tell me about backing up, you know, getting more in the viewfinder. How do you know, do you know, when, when you've got something right on that edge of profound versus mundane? Yeah. So, uh, it, again, I mean, I know eventually we might talk about my more current work. Yeah, we're, um, we're, we're going to get there. We're, <laughs> where, I, where I, I work, oh yeah, I know. I'm just in reference to your question. Mm-hmm. I work, I work very differently now. But back again on all the work that was for shot for Edge. Every one of those photographs is shot on a tripod. Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah, and and they're all very studied. The first couple of them are shot on 35 millimeter film. Mm-hmm. The majority of the rest are shot on medium format film, and then there's a few at the end that are were captured digitally. But so, yeah, every time I, you know, made a photograph, I would set the camera up on a tripod. So these are very studied, carefully calculated, for lack of mm-hmm. a better word, images. So I would sit there and set up the camera on the tripod and, you know, move it an inch to the left or, or back a foot, <laughs> an inch over to the right until yeah. I it, it came together in my mind. Things would click together, but not necessarily in a, a simple fashion. It was easy to see in a manner that was a little harder to see. And I started shooting a number of pieces where I made use of layering, shooting through a structure to another structure behind that, to another structure behind that. And again, incorporating back in my old Ansel Adams suggestion is, you know, incorporating the near and the far, the near and the far. So how do I know? It's, you know, it's trial and error. And believe me, the world for me doesn't come together this way very easily. You know, I, uh, so many images I made over that time frame that the edge covers, which is like 35 years that, I mean, so many of, of the pictures I took that were, quote, close, but no cigar. They mm-hmm. never quite got there. I feel that the ones that are in, in the book do make it there. But I'm sure for some people, they'll look at some of these photographs and say, what a freaking mess, man. This is just, you know, over the <laughs> this does not hold together for them, which is okay because I'm trying to get to what I thought was the edge. But, you know, back to your original question about laying out the, the prints um, mm-hmm. in the original title. So that's I, I, I did that to put together a, a prototype, a book dummy, which I did with, along with a, um, a graphic designer. We put together a, a dummy, and I had a handful of hard copies made through uh, a print-on-demand company and shopped those. And I used that to shop around to publishers. And I also had a PDF version, which... For some of the publishers, they wanted a PDF. Mm-hmm. So I shopped it around, and, you know, some people came back saying, thanks, no thanks. Some think, saying, oh, I find it intriguing. I'm not sure if we can do anything with it. And some yeah. people said it doesn't click. And finally, I, I met Bill Bowling at a portfolio review in Portland, Oregon, the photo Lucida 
portfolio review. And Bill is the publisher at Fall Line Press. And so I handed him the dummy, and this is several years ago, and he really connected with the work. Mm -hmm. And anyway, he said at the time, he goes, yeah, I think we, we can do something with this, but it won't be this book. And it's not. So Edge is, is not Edge of Chaos. Edge of Chaos was my dummy that I shopped around, and it ended up being this book, Edge. So well, how, I, I how had, different are they? How, how different was, is the dummy from what I'm holding right now in my hands? Well, the, the photographs, for the most part, are the same. I mean, I had a lot more photographs in, in my book dummy. And that was one mm -hmm. thing Bill told me up front. He said that, you know, the, the books we publish, they're, they're, typically they're not going to have that many images. I think I ended up with like 55, which is plenty. And the format of the book is different. <laughs> this is edges, 8 by 12 and a quarter, I think. So when you open it up, it's roughly 12 by 16 spread across two pages. Edge has two gate folds. Right. They, they fold out to 32 by 12. It, it's also a lay flat book so that there's no gutter. And so images will go across two pages. The design elements are, are very different. So, in, in you know, once we I signed up with Fall Line Press, of course, <laughs> this started evolving during COVID. So we had a number of <laughs> bumps along the way. We don't need to get into, you know, yeah, uh, you know, nobody's fault, but just uh, with printer with delays and just we couldn't get together in person. But so in, in putting Edge together, there was, you know, Bill, the publisher slash editor, and then my senior editor, Peter Essick, who's a great photographer in his own right. He used to work with National Geographic and New York Times. And then the designer, Margot Frey. So it was basically the four of us developing the book together. Mm -hmm. And so we went through several editing sessions. So as far as the photographs go, I think for, for the most part, well, I got, they, edited, they edited in a few that I had in uh, Edge of Chaos that I mm -hmm. did not have in Edge of Chaos. And we, moved, we removed a number of other ones. And the sequencing is different. So in Edge of Chaos, I had broken it down into chapters, kind of aligned with what you see on my website. Okay. Element, elements. Fission, fusion, and we yep. talked about including that whole metaphor because that's basically what it is that came out of the you know the complexity science thing, and we kicked that around and decided that it was sort of directing the viewer a little too much and taking the focus away from the image itself, you know, and let let the image reveal itself to the viewer, and then in my artist statement in the book, or when I talk about the book, like I'm doing with you, we can talk about complexity science and all those things and how it relates to the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, so I have, there's more text, I guess you would say in an edge of chaos, but it was text that I had written with the intent of always having it replaced by someone who could write. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, I you know, I, 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 I struggled to write, but you know, it was and the idea was have somebody else write something, and that's, oh, that's what. Man. And Fall Line Press, you know, helped greatly on that, and they brought in Tim Davis, yeah, you know, remarkable photographer and, and writer, and uh, you know, Renaissance man. And Tim wrote the essay for the book, so. And the design elements are, are very, very different, you know. And so Margot kind of, Margot brought, brought the whole thing together. Because, again, cool. a photo book isn't just a, a collection of photographs. It's an entity in itself. Absolutely. Um, and Well, I, I got to tell you, man, you know, confession here. My freshman year, I was an electrical and computer engineering student. And I, 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 qu I quickly realized that's not where my talents resided. But I've had that kind of pedestrian, you know, interest and fascination with science I've been following it you know my entire life so when I saw elements emergence fission fusion strings entanglement I'm going oh I, you're speaking my language here this is all the stuff that I am that I have no talent for and therefore am really interested in you know it's just like I have no talent in the kitchen so what do I love to watch cooking shows um, <laughs> anyway you you have as you said you've had a change of direction um, you're working on something brand new here the hunter gatherer series Series. Give give me the overview. What are you doing here with with the new project with Hunter Gatherer? Yeah. Well, yes, yeah. So the work in Edge goes up to I think 2016, 2017. and since then I've been shooting for 
actually 2017, 2018, yeah, the last five or six years now, I've been photographing at antique fairs and uh, uh, flea markets and mm-hmm. pawn shops and places like that. And the, the, the way I got into that, again, was, you know, I'm, I'm finishing up my last subject matter in edge, which was the commercial fishing. Oh, I never answered your question, but I'm going to get back to this about the sequence. Edge of Chaos w- was pretty much chronological. Okay. Um, and when we got into edge, it, it's somewhat chronological, but not exactly because we go from the amusement park work into the commercial fishing boats, which is the more recent work. But if you look at the the images that sequence into that, it really works very well. There, there, so. there's, an, there's an aesthetic narrative arc to that book, yes. Exactly right. Yeah. So, and then that's again one of the great things working with a team is you start bringing in other eyes and you look at things a, a little differently. But anyway, so after I had finished the commercial fishing boats, I said, you know, I got this. I'm still working in this quote style. <laughs> you know, am yeah. I, am I working? I'm tired of working in style or not? And I don't know if I just happened to be at an antique fair or, or if I intentionally went there, but I started shooting them and started thinking, well, look, this this methodology that I've been working for years and years of all this, you know, cramming information to a frame would lend itself to a project on materialism or consumerism. And that's what I could find at these antique fairs or antique malls where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of booths inside a a massive building. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got into it. I started continuing my, you know, quote, edge of chaos methodology and shooting booths and, and scenes that had, you know, a lot of stuff crammed in them and that had a lot of repeating motifs. So they had a sense of rhythm and gesture to them. So that's how I started. And on my website, so I, I, on the website, I've grouped it into five different galleries, but right. th- that's basically just to keep things kind of neat and orderly because <laughs> some of them could be moved from one group to another. But so I started doing that, but as time went on and I, I have shot hundreds of these venues in over half of the, the United States, half of the States, but I started noticing other th- things, not just the, you know, the masses of stuff, you know, a dealer's booth crammed with household goods or piles of costume jewelry or piles of clothes on the ground or shoes or whatever. But I started getting more or looking more at the individual objects and being concerned about, you know, their history and how they made it into this booth. And I, I started to make shots that juxtaposed items that were displayed in the dealer's booth that you know, may or may not have been intentional, but it's kind of suggested or created a narrative. Right. Uh, and and these different themes started to emerge. Um, you know, w- w- one theme being how women are represented in the past in advertising posters or promotional items. And I, I shot a bunch of mannequins in, you know, the expressions they had on their face was intriguing to me mm-hmm. and how they were made up and their hair was done and, you know, creating this image of, of beauty for, for women and how men were kind of depicted differently. So, you know, some of the photographs in that group are, are very quirky. And then I, I started shooting these doll heads, too. So I have a whole section on yeah, these Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk about the dolls here in a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But then, then I started noticing more of what is termed black memorabilia, mm-hmm. which is, you know, in, it's actually racist memorabilia. And that really got me. So I start off with these, you know, these pictures, the edge of chaos pictures. And I was trying to, you know, find something that was um, aesthetically appealing in those. So, yeah, I got all this stuff, but, you know, maybe it's a. I could take a photograph that says, oh, look at this, kind of a, a pretty nice design, actually, that I found buried in there. But as I started going further and further into this and looking more at the objects and, and what they represented and what they told me, not just about the past, but about current day America, you know, these I went down these different avenues and some of them got kind of dark, mm-hmm. particularly this one on black memorabilia. So... I find myself found myself questioning myself, you know, two or three years ago, you know, wow, should I even be taking these photographs? <laughs> right. And, and, you know, is this okay? And 
Actually, I, you know, I was reminded the other day that I listened to your interview with Joel Meyerowitz from a while back. <laughs> and, and you know, and seriously, and he, he was talking about how he had a somewhat similar situation uh, when he was photographing at Ground Zero in Manhattan after 9-11. And he said something to the effect, you know, dare I find beauty here or dare I find something, in, you know. So, you know, it's a very different type of thing, but it's a similar type of internal dilemma that I had. So I started, you know, researching and, and studying. Of course, you know, I've been aware of, you know, racism in the United States, but, you know, as an old white guy, you know, despite how much I say I'm aware of it, I don't have that. I haven't lived that life. Okay? Right. So, you know, I read the, the 1619 Project that New York Times published, and I read a couple of books by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. And started researching, and then I, I discovered a whole bunch of interesting things. There's actually a museum in Michigan called the Jim Crow Museum of Racist Memorabilia. Oh, my. That's, that's what I said. Oh, my. Well, it was started and is still run by uh, an African-American, Dr. David Pilgrim, mm-hmm. who I've exchanged a couple of emails with. So, you know, it's not like... Uh, Black people think that all this should be swept under the rug. Oh, yeah. To the contrary, it's like, no, this, you know, it's, you could say that about anything. You know, let's not study black history. Let's not study slavery. Well, no, the exact opposite is true. These things were out there, these objects that are, you know, some of them are very degrading of black people. Not only were they made, most of them decades ago, but some of them are still being made and they're still being traded in the marketplace. So, Dr. Pilgrim has this little museum and shows a lot of this material. And then I found that uh, Louis Gates Jr., who's a very prominent uh, African-American author and writer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. filmmaker, um, he has a collection of black memorabilia. Oh. So I, I, I began, began to understand that this is an extraordinarily complex, multi-layered subject matter and that I'm okay making the photographs, and you know, I I need to be very careful in presenting it to the world, particularly being you know a, a white guy. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. You're making me, here's a question for you. For you, what is what is the admittedly fluid border between aesthetics and politics? Because a picture of a collection of little peace sign trinkets or, or watch bands or in, in the earlier book, you know, bed springs are aesthetically pleasing because of their shapes and, 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 and patterns. But, but th- th- their intent is an, is an emotional response to order or disorder. With this project, you're being much more out front about a kind of argument that, that you want to make. Is that just the result of, of your evolving work? Is it what? Yeah, it's a result of the evolving work. Because this the hunter-gatherer projects, okay, like subsets, I guess you say. I mean, they're all shot at these same location. That's what ties all the work together. They're all right. shot at these different these marketplaces. But the themes and the subject matter is, is incredibly broad. And, yeah, so uh, the work in Edge is, yeah, There's there are other things that go on in there. At least I like to think that, you know, there's a continuous thread, not through all the projects, but through some of them about abandoned places, places where you expect to see people, um, but they're not there. Like the amusement parks and the uh, commercial fishing boats have no people on, on right. the boats. Well, yeah, they're they're thoroughly entrenched in formalism. Okay, there's no question about that. They're that is, you know, what holds them together. Are the the colors, the shapes, the patterns, the rhythms. Right. When I got into shooting hunter gatherer, as I said, when I started off, that that's what I was doing. But the the subject matter and just me thinking about things and and visiting these, you know, all these different 
venues over over several years, I went down a whole bunch of different paths. So, I mean, not only is the subject matter and the theme different from from Edge, but you know, my equipment and my methodology is different. None of these things mm-hmm. are shot on a tripod. <laughs> right, okay. I shot yep. everything at Edge was shot. Why? Why? Because why? Moving, I you know, I, I yep. walk by hundreds, if not thousands, of booths, and and I'm just I'm trying to do some. You know, they're more quick grab pictures. A lot of them, and and you might you might want to edit this part out, but uh, I've been shooting with the iPhone 14 a lot. So now, why would <laughs> why would I edit that out? <laughs> <laughs> because my photographer friends will cringe when i tell them that no, no so I, 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 I mean a, a quick a quick tech note no you know there people i think have a, have a kind of reticence when they say yeah i shoot with an iphone but there is this whole field growing quickly called iphoneography and you know it, it, it's the old cliche the best camera is the one you've got in your hands so i you know i understand the, the kind of hesitation but I celebrate the work that, that people are doing with iPhones. It, it, it is a tool like any other and, and full speed ahead, man. So, so okay, I'm, I'm looking at enigmatic narratives, that, that section. And I love the emphasis on narrative because you're challenging the viewer to find a story in each of these. And, and the story's not, you know, complication, rising action, and, and, and you know, resolution. You know, it's, it's not that. But you've got one image, for example, a bunch of syringes on a platter uh, right in front of a crucifix, which is right in front of something from the National Casket Company. And you look at that and you think, this, this has to be set up. This ha- there's too many ironies in this page. And yet, of course, you know, it, it's, it's not. You know, so... Talk to me about, in, in this new work, your understanding of narrative, both within the single frame and within the series. Well, yeah, so that's the, the image you're talking about is a good example. I, I'd like to find more of those situations, but you're right, it's, it's as found. And, you know, the title Enigmatic Narratives came from a review of my work where the reviewer had use that phrase, um, even talking about some of the work in Edge. And I thought, you know, I, I kind of like that because I don't necessarily know what the photograph is about in terms of a storyline. Right. But it suggests things because I'm saying, hey, look at this odd juxtaposition of objects. And, you know, what does it tell you? And, you know, depending on your own personal history and what you bring to the image, you're going to I mean, this is always true, of course, not just for my photographs. You're going to interpret it in your own unique way. But as far as the narrative of the entire series, so the the other different thing about shooting hunter-gatherer as opposed to edge, you know, as I said, they're not shot on a tripod. And and by the way, I haven't shot them all on the iPhone. I have a, a Nikon, <laughs> a Nikon D800. But more and more I'm shooting with the iPhone because it's just, it really lends itself Having a small camera in your hand really lends itself to going in and, and taking these pictures. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm the only one there, I always ask the dealer if it's okay to take photographs. And almost all the time they say, sure. Yeah. Um, but if it's crowded and I've got an iPhone, they don't really care because everybody else yes, has got taking, one too. Yeah. And they're taking pictures of things that, you know, <laughs> oh, I got to send this to my wife or my husband and whatever, and my sister mm-hmm. and see if she's interested in buying blah, blah, blah. So it, it's very um, good in that regard. But the other thing uh, that's interesting for me, you know, as I said, when I was shooting the work for Edge, I was concerned about the, the print size when I was making the photograph. You know, how, how, how should I position the camera if it's going to be 20 by 24 versus 48 by 60 or, or whatever? And now for, for this work, this is a, a line that I'm stealing from a photographer I met down in Atlanta, is I, I, I shoot for the page not for the wall. Okay. Um, so when I'm taking the pictures, I'm thinking, well, how will this work in a book? Okay. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm taking photographs and I think, well, I don't know if this is a great photograph, but it'll work with that piece that I took in North Carolina last year. And it also might work with the piece I took in, in Tennessee a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that has a same type of layout. 
similar subject matter. Um, it might connect in a, in a sequence in the book. Maybe it would work paired in a book. So, and again, back in the, the edge days when it was film, it really couldn't work that way because it costs money. Right? <laughs> and now it, it doesn't cost money to take the pictures, yep. which is, has its pluses and minuses. I think we all take way too many pictures. But yeah. So as far as, you know, that answers your question, but I think in terms of the book, more than the exhibition now and how the image could work. Now, not all the time. Sometimes I just see something like that mm -hmm. syringe piece. Um, I don't know if I have anything similar to that. But, uh, you know, the, the one thing that really breaks character in, in, in everything that, that I've seen of yours, the one thing that, that it, and it, it's brilliant and, and, and disturbing and wonderful at the same time, but it's sort of unlike your other work is the series called Dollface, which is mesmerizing <laughs> in, in, in and of itself. Tell, tell people what this is and, and how it came to be and, and what you're going for here. I don't really know. <laughs> that was a short answer. Thanks. <laughs> no, I'll give you the long answer now. Um, well, here's here's the thing. So, again, harking back to Edge a little bit, there's a piece on my website under Edge of Chaos Entanglement right. called Witch Winch, which is a grid of 15 photographs of these winches that are um, they pull in the nets um, out in the ocean. You know, they put the net out on the winch and, and pull it back in. This winch is cranked and pulls it back in. Mm -hmm. And when I was shooting that material back in 2015, 2016, I remember looking at some of these winches and, and, and thinking, Man, that's pretty cool. I like the colors on that. I like the way it's been worn over time. I like the way it's rusted. And I would take pictures of them with no idea what I was going to do with them because they did not fit in with the whole complexity thing and the edge of chaos thing. And that's why, that's why it's not in the book edge. Cause we looked at it and it was just, you know, with a fall line and we decided it's just too different from the other pieces. But I took those winch shots, you know, over the years and ended up with a few dozen of them. And then I thought, well, maybe this will work in a grid. And so I, in Photoshop, I made them all the same size because in, in, in the physical world, they're not the same size. And I inscribed them all in squares and arranged them in a three-by-five grid. So I'll get back to the, to the doll face and also the mannequins. Right. Actually, if you're going to hunter-gather, I have a three-by-five grid of mannequin heads. Mm -hmm. Not the dolls, but the mannequin heads. And that was the same thing with the mannequins. Is, is I went to, you know, going through all these booths, I'd see a mannequin head that intrigued me for some reason. But it wasn't like a booth shot. There wasn't a juxtaposition. I, and again, I'm saying to myself, I don't know why I'm taking this picture, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. And then that ended up being a three, five, three by five grid that I uh, titled You Were Always the One, which can be interpreted a number of ways. Right. Now, with the doll heads, you know, I, di I didn't mean to be glib, but <laughs> I, I, I found a bunch of, I've, I've seen thousands of these dolls. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, one of them, kind of speaks to me, either because of the expression on the face. Um, I tend to shoot the ones that have glass eyes um, because they're kind of mesmerizing. Right. Um, or some of them have been damaged, okay, mm -hmm. and the story that that could tell. So right now, there, it's not a create a single piece. And I, right now, I'm struggling with how to incorporate it into my book dummy for Hunter Gather. Or maybe I don't. Maybe it's a whole, it needs to be a whole separate thing. But I mean, so, e even here, the, the images, they're all just headshots. They're all framed right. basically, you know, chin to the top of the head. And yep. you are, in, instead of this explosive chaos of, of you know, systems and of, of any sort or, or, you know, the combinations of things found in a booth, this this is, minimalist isn't the right word for this, but compared to your other work, that's you know, that's where this is going. Why did you decide to go for the subtlety of the expression in these faces Instead of doing what you said earlier, backing up and trying to cram as much as you could in. Yeah. So, yeah. So, this work is definitely out of my comfort zone. Okay. Um, which is a good thing because I had been shooting that same style for 30-odd years. And, I, I again, I didn't go into this with the intent of doing that. I had the intent of doing more, you know, edge of chaos type of stuff. But, again, going in and out of these booths, 
I started, you know, looking at the overall scene of the booth or finding a section of the booth, an angle or a perspective that spoke to me in some way and, and suggested some type of a narrative by the juxtapositions of the objects. But then I started looking more carefully at the individual objects um, and these, you know, doll heads. And, and again, I've, I've seen thousands of them. Right. I've only, only shoot a very, very small number of them. And, you know, shooting with available light and all, all of these are shot on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're not set up at all just as I find them in the dealer's booth. So, you know, why did I go down that path? I, 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 I don't know. That's why I said I don't really know, <laughs> but it's interesting. The reaction I get, I mean, some people that, who've seen these really love them. I mean, they're, they're fun in a way. But not all of them are fun. No, I was, I was going to say, there, there, there's some really, uh, it, not Halloween spooky, but sort of emotionally spooky ones in there. Exactly, exactly. So if you go, <laughs> I know other people aren't doing this right now, but it, but if you go to the uh, the female gaze, mm-hmm. there are there's a series of shots, I guess I only have three of them on the website right now, of these ceramic heads of, of men. They're from, uh, they're mugs, ceramic right. mugs. And you know they have a they're glazed, so they have they have all these reflections of the lines on them. And some of these are really creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one thought on the book is to pair those with some of the damaged dolls. Now that brings me down a whole different pathway, and it means that I'm imposing the meaning of the of the object and its juxtaposition. I'm creating the juxtaposition like I do in the grids. So it's a you know long-winded answer to your question. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with the dolls and how they fit with everything else and why why I take them is I you know there's something that intrigues me about them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the old Beatles song, "Something in the way you look." Something in the way you look. <laughs> so maybe maybe you could tell me if you if you find them interesting. I, well, you're, I you're the writer. I'm, I'm not a yeah, writer. I don't, yeah, put, yeah. I don't know how to put things into words, Scott. You what, 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 what I find, you know, I, I, I want to. When you said, you know, that you were imposing a meaning, I, I'm not entirely sure. I agree. I, I think we propose meanings. You know, when, when we put things together, we say there there might be a relationship here that I am intuiting, that I am thinking about. You know, what, dear viewer, do you see? I, I think we are in the business of proposition most of the time, saying this is important. This speaks to me. Do we have something to chat about? Um, oh, I, like, I like that. Thank you. See, I, that's, <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's really yeah. Well, articulated that well. I appreciate it, da- David. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm a great fan of your work. You know, clearly, I loved the book Edge and the new work, The Hunter Gatherer. Is I think absolutely something everybody's got to go take a look at. Obviously, your webpage URL is on the page here. Thank you very much. I have enjoyed every minute of this. Scott, this has been this has been great, and I, again, it's a real honor. I know I told you before that I've listened to almost every one of the interviews you've done, and they're sorry all about that. No, no, they're great, and I, I encourage people to listen to all these other interviews. And you know, some awesome. of them are with really well-known, famous photographers, but others are like me, not so well-known, and I find them all of them so so fascinating. And you have a, a very democratic well, view. I mean, I'll thank you. Of, different types of photography work and it's great. I really oh, thank enjoy you, it. And, well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com. <laughs>